Well, I was just thinking anytime you speak about liver, you should be embarrassed. Nasty stuff. <laughs> that, is, that, that is something that I definitely would have done. We had, a, we had a teen choir in the youth group that I was in when I was a kid, and my dad was the director of the teen choir. We went to camp in Arizona at the uh, Bill Rice Ranch, the West Branch, the Bill Rice Ranch, and they had a teen choir competition. So we had to sing at, I mean, different times through the week. And uh, the main competition was in front of the whole group of campers. And I don't know why my dad did this, but he picked me to announce the group. I was 14, 13 or 14. And uh, as I stand up there, I had to I had to step down in, in front of the choir to, to do this, and I'm looking out over this group of about, I think there was somewhere around 400 teenagers there that week, and I was scared to death. I stepped down, I said, um, we are the choir from, and I couldn't remember. <laughs> I had no idea the name of our church. I stood there and sputtered and sputtered, and finally, uh, I think my dad just finally said who we were, and I meekly got back, and I had to stand there and try to sing there as I was, every color of red you can imagine, I was dying, speaking in front of people, killed me as a kid, I was petrified, and uh, boy, the, the other guys in the choir were so mad at me, we lost because of you, <laughs> could have been, I don't know. But uh, it, is, it is bad when you uh, embarrass yourself in front of a big group. Well, jo- Job chapter 6 and 7 tonight, and I mentioned this morning, I, I want to look more at one verse. We're going to read both chapters. Job is, is an interesting book, and, and one that is, if you just look at it from, the, from a user standpoint, it's, it's easier to do studies than it is to preach messages, if that makes sense, out of the book of Job. And I don't, wanna, I don't want to, um, I don't feel like the Lord would have me at this time take the time to go through verse by verse and, and make a three-year study out of this. So, um, just letting the Lord lead as we go through it, and, and I'm I don't know if this will be the future, but as for now, so far, we've kind of, I've kind of done this, uh, take a portion of a chapter and, and, and teach on the principles that are taught in it, um, more, more so than, than whether Job is right or if uh, Eliphaz or Bildad or any of the, any of the ones that are, the characters are right or wrong, although we will look at that. Um, but I do want to read the entire chapter of 6 and 7. This is Job's answer. Uh, to Eliphaz, Eliphaz has, has, uh, has answered him and told Job that um, you're here because of sin in your life, um, which is incorrect. Uh, we know that from the first part of the book. But verse 1 of chapter 6 says, But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words are swallowed up. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. 
Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his fodder? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The things that my soul refuseth to touch are as my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that He would let loose His hand and cut me off. Then should I yet have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh of brass? Is, it, is not my help in me, and is wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty." My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks they pass away, which are blackish by reason of the ice, and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their ways are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. The troops of Tima looked. The companies of Sheba waited for them. They were confounded because they had hoped. They came thither and were ashamed. For now ye are nothing. Ye see my casting down and are afraid. Did I say, bring unto me, or give a reward for me of your substance? Or deliver me from the enemy's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Teach me, and I will hold my tongue, and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forcible are right words! But what doth your arguing reprove? Do ye imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. Now therefore be content. Look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? Let's stop there for a second. This is quite an argument that he makes, and he's, he's laying out his sorrow, he's laying out his, I, I call it his defense. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to change gears just here for a second, and we're going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to look at my first point, which is Job's defense, just briefly as we look at what we just read, and, uh, and then we'll get into the rest of it. Father, thank you for allowing us this time together tonight. Father, it is of your mercies that we are not consumed Lord, they're new every morning, and we praise you for that. We thank you for our time together. Lord, help us not to waste it. Father, help us to learn, to apply your word to our heart and life. Lord, that you would be glorified in each life here tonight. That your name is lifted up. Work mightily in each thing that's done. And Lord, use me. Give me wisdom as I speak. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So yeah, first thing we see is, is Job's, defense, Job's defense. And really, it all is. But I want to break it up a little bit. 1 through 23 is what I was looking at here as his defense. He's, he's giving out his grief, his, his anguish again. And we know that he's not overstating it. <laughs> I've thought about this a lot. I, don't, I, I see Job as poetic. I see Job as, as uh, well, that's the best word, I guess, is just poetic in his speech. But I don't see him as overly dramatic or trying to make more of it than it is. He really is going through the single worst day of any person that I've ever heard. And then this time is dragging on. He's, he's 
living this life of, of misery and sorrow and pain. And now his, his friends come and they're not comforters, <laughs> called miserable comforters. They come and they start telling him, well, you're here because of sin in your life. This is what you've done. And you need to confess it and things will change. God will bless you, but he's punishing you for something. And we know that God punishes sin. But in this instance, Job, God said, is perfect and upright. A man that fears God and eschews evil. That, that was God's testimony about Job. And so we know that he is being tested. And he is, he is human. And as he's going through this, he says, Oh, that my griefs were thoroughly weighed. I wish you could understand the torment that I'm in. My calamity laid in the balances together. I, I, I would like for you, Eliphaz, to understand a little bit of my pain. And for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. They're not sufficient. He says they're not enough to tell you where I'm at. I can't describe what I'm going through. Verse 4, the arrows of the mighty within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit, the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. I, I, he's saying all this and then he says, Does the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his fodder? The, when, the, when the wild donkey is fed, he's not, he's not complaining. When he's content, he's not complaining. My complaint here is not overstated or, or uh, dramatic. He said, this is the truth in my life. And you're just not seeing it. You're not being compassionate over me. Uh, you, have no, you have no compassion on my situation. And, and, he, and he describes a little more about that. The unsavory eaten without salt or is there a taste in the white of an egg? The thing that my soul refuseth to touch is, are my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might have my request. And then he goes back into this, you know, I'm at this point where I just wish it was over. End of my life. I wrestle with that one. I don't believe he should have that mentality. I don't believe that is right. We know suicide's not right. I, I don't believe he's suicidal, but I believe he's at this point where, Lord, it would be better if you just took me home. Can we stop all of this? And I don't believe that's the right mentality. He just needs to accept what God is giving him in his life and say, not my will, but thine be done. But at the same time, I think I understand a little bit. You know what? This is so much. It would just be so much nicer if it all ended tonight. Let me go to sleep and not wake up in the morning. Let me go, let me go home to be with the Lord and, and let's end this, this tor torment that I'm going through. And so he's giving his defense. He's saying, you, you, you don't understand what I'm going through. And they don't. And he tells them, says, you're not good friends. You're not here helping me. You come and you afflict me. You, on, on top of my sorrow, now you're, now you're afflicting me. And so Job's defense is, is, my sorrow is overwhelming. I have no strength against this pain. And then my friends are against me. And, he, and consider that in your own life. If that were to happen, what would you be? You'd be like Job. You, you would want to tell them, listen, maybe it's just better if you went on home. Leave me alone for a while. But then he gets to the point that I wanted to look at tonight. And, the, and this verse has always stuck out to me. In verse 25 is, is just a statement in here that sticks out to me because it is his argument against his friends. But he says in verse 25, how forcible are right words. How forcible are right words. He says, listen, 
if you're here and you're telling me something truthful, there's real force in that. There's real, there's real impact. There's lasting impact in, in words. He said, but yours are empty. And I was just, I was looking at this and thinking about our words. Do we consider how forcible they are? James talks about the tongue being the little member and that we can't control it. And that it destroys relationships. It destroys a church. It can so easily destroy a church. Just the words that we say. We always said it when we were kids. I know everybody knows this. When we were little, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You know, Somebody called me a dummy or something, and I would turn and that would be my answer. It's all the best I could do. But it's completely wrong. It's totally wrong. We, we teach our kids that, but we need to teach them there are, there are consequences to the words that we say. How forcible are right words? They can have an effect for right or they can have an effect for wrong. And I just want to look at some verses about this tonight. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. Do we control our tongue? Do we control the words that come out of our mouth? Is it known of you that you have a filter, right? That's what we say today. That man has no filter. Whatever crosses his mind comes out of his mouth. Now, Proverbs calls that man a fool. That man is a fool. Chapter 17, verse verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. There's a lot of times in our life we'll have better relationships, a better day. We can be an encouragement sometimes to people by just keeping our mouth shut. Boy, not saying what comes across our mind. The relationship between a husband and wife, it's better sometimes just to keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. Can we do it though? I mean, it's easy to say, but it's another thing. When we're, when we're angry, when our emotions have got a hold of us, we forget the impact that those words may have. Chapter 25, verse 11 says, uh, that's not the right one. Boy, I did it again. Well, go with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Well... Verse 6. There it is. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I should not get up early. Well, I do. I'm going to always do it because I believe it gets my mind right. But I have to be so careful at 5.30 in the morning when I'm writing my notes out again and going back over them and, and just refreshing everything in my mind. I don't get everything correct. Yeah, it's verse 6. 
Verse 6, Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how to answer, how ye ought to answer every man. You know, there's wisdom in knowing how to answer every man. It comes with the Spirit of God. It comes with the grace of God that only comes through Jesus Christ. To know how to answer every man. I wish I could say that I've known how to answer in every, every circumstance. That when a, when a problem comes up or arises, that my words are honoring to God. That they're seasoned with salt. That they're, that they're with grace. That I'm loving and kind in my answers. I mentioned the marital relationship. It's, it's, the, one that we, it's the one that we deal with the most, right? I, I hope you deal with your spouse more than anybody else in your life. On a close basis, for sure. Our, is our speech seasoned with grace? Are we loving and kind? Are we building them up or edifying them? And I, and I do not want you to go and ask Elizabeth how well I do on this. <laughs> it's a daily struggle, and it takes, it takes wisdom, and, and it takes the Spirit of God, and it takes a humbling of ourself before the Lord to answer with grace and kindness and with salt. And, and just this remembering that the words that I say are forcible. That word means it's not just a small impact. It means it's shattering. That it is driving, that it is changing the person or the, the situation or the, the circumstances. So let your speech be always with grace. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. That is part of it. That walking in wisdom is to know the right words to say. How many times are we confronted about our beliefs or confronted in the week about something that is going on and it's so easy to answer roughly. It's far easier to say something in in anger or to put someone in their place many times than to have that grace and that love. And, And so walk with God so that you may know how to answer. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 <clears throat> Excuse me. Last chapter of Ecclesiastes, we're going to read verse 9 through 14. Verse 9 says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed, and sought out, and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Those are words that are seasoned with salt. Those are words that are always with grace. That's speaking of the Word of God. Even the words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters. They, they have impact. Is that, uh, that not what that's saying? The goad drives you, right? The shepherd used the goad to move the sheep. 
We used to, we used to move the cattle up the, up the chute for processing with a, with a hot shot. I don't know how many know what a hot shot is, but it's about that long, big battery pack on the back. A rod comes this way with two electric prongs out the end, and it had a trigger. And you poke the cow, and you pull the trigger, and she's going to move. You got her attention. It was a goad. It was, it was pushing her in the right way. It directed them down where they were supposed to go so we could get the work done. And that's the shepherd. The words given by the shepherd are as goads and nails fastened by the assemblies. They're given for impact. They're given to direct. They're given to secure. The nails hold the things in place. Nails are essential for construction and for building and, and for building up. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And of much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandment, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good and whether it be evil. I love the verses that say here, let's, let's get the conclusion of the whole matter. Here is, here is what you have to know. Let me, let me summarize. Fear God and keep His commandments. <laughs> two simple things to say and two things that we will daily struggle in doing. If we don't die to the flesh, we're not going to keep His commandments. We do not fear God. We don't reverence Him as He, as he is and as He should be. And this says, For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good and whether it be evil. Let me apply this to our words. I'm going to answer for every single word I've ever said. And thought. That causes some shuddering, really, when we think about that. I'm going to stand before Christ someday in the judgment seat, and I'm going to answer for the things done in this body. The words that I say... The thoughts that I think, the actions that I've made. But when we're talking about words, just go back over this past week and consider, what did I say? How, how much grace was in the words that I said? How much was I focusing on edifying and building up? Did I consider the impact of what I was saying in the life of the person that I'm talking to? How forcible are right words? They have impact. There's, there's meaning, whether it's good or bad, in the things that we say. Job said, listen, what does your argument reprove? You, if you would get the right argument, this would matter, but you don't. And so he goes on to the end of the chapter there, and he, he's talking about, do you imagine to reprove words and speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? Ye overwhelm the fatherless, ye dig a pit for your friend. Now therefore be content and look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I, if I lie. Look at me and tell me if I'm lying. Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? He's telling them, listen, you're wrong in what you're saying. And then verse, or chapter 7, we see a complaint Job's complaint, and he's talking about he's talking about his time. And we see we see the days are swifter than the weaver's shuttle, things like this in this chapter. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? 
As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as an hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? And the night be gone? And am I full of tossing and to and fro unto the day, dawning of the day? My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. O oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. The eyes of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is, com- is consumed and vanished of the way, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore will I not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and, my, and death rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I burden am a burden to myself? And why dost thou pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Boy, he gets, he gets uh, desperate here. In despair, as I read this, I, I see a man in despair. He's, he's defending himself against his, against his miserable comforters. But as this chapter goes on, he's changing and he's talking to the Lord. He, he, at the end of this chapter, he's, he's addressing the Lord. He said, Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? He wouldn't say that to his friend. He's talking to God. He didn't know that. He didn't think Eliphaz could take away his iniquity. He's, he's saying, I don't have sin. But he's saying, why don't you take away this burden from me? Just let me die. <laughs> Just let me die. I, I, I look at this and I, and, I, and I, as I said, I struggle with how to preach these chapters. Because I, I sympathize with Job. I, I, I understand his pain is great. But no matter what comes in our life, God is not wrong. And, and Job is, is looking at this through worldly eyes now. He's seeing just his pain and he's saying, "You just take me out of this life. Why are you keeping me here? Why, do you ha- why are you putting me through this? And he's starting to question God again. I, I pray that none of us ever go through what Job went through. I, I can't imagine losing everything and losing my family. I always go back to that. And the camels, the sheep, the oxen, all of that, that was a blow. But when that last servant came in and said, your ten children have died, what it must have been like as Job sat there for this time now, it's been, it's been over a week at least. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, in abject misery and pain. 
And he's starting to wonder, why do you keep me here? He's starting to question God. And, and I know in our own flesh we do the same thing with much less struggle. Job needs to put his focus back on God. And God gets him there by the end of the book. I, I love the last chapter in Job. As God addresses him and tells him several times, quit you like a man. Uh, translation to me is quit your whining. And, and be, be a man. Stop complaining. And I, I look at that and I think, wow, if anybody could complain, it was Job. And God said, trust me, focus on me, and allow me to work. And then when Job saw who God was, he said, I abhor myself and repent in sackcloth and ashes. He, he saw that he was sinful in his, in his fleshly state completely and that God was holy and he's not seeing that here yet. This is a progression that has to happen in Job's life. So Job starts to defend himself, and he's, and he's in despair. And we need to be careful in our, in our walk with the Lord that in times of struggle, we don't start to question Him. And I know it's easier said than done. I'm not saying that, that we can do this in our own strength. We have to ask God for the, the strength and the grace to do these things. But in our struggles, in our trials... He is still supreme. He is still right. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, He is the rock. His way is just. He is the God of justice. And so we need to always remember, no matter what comes this week, what comes in the future, I don't know what is coming in our life. We know that they that live godly shall suffer persecution. There will be trials. Let's keep our focus on the Lord and know that He is right. And watch our words. That's my challenge tonight. Watch your words. How forcible are right words. You can influence people for right, or you can hurt them more than we ever know. The couple that we were visiting yesterday, you know, their argument, and, and I told him, I said he was wrong in his argument. I told him that yesterday. But I understand his argument. He said that so many people have been so hateful to us in the name of religion. And I don't believe he's, I don't believe he's making this up. I, I believe he's telling me the truth. And there's people that are going to answer for these things when we judge people harshly or not in love and we're, we're hateful towards them in the name of Christianity and drive them away. There's a barrier there that the Holy Spirit's going to have to break down. In their life, they can come to know the Lord as their Savior. Yesterday I said, you're, you're, you're not looking at the right thing. All men are, are fallible and wicked. I said, you need a relationship with the Lord. But I was challenged by that testimony again, and this study tonight, just to be so careful in what I say. Because if I, in my selfishness or in my anger, say something to the unsaved, and they know that I claim the name of Christ, I'm now responsible if that person dies and goes to hell. I have, I have a hand in that. I drove them away from the Lord instead of drawing him to him. How forcible are right words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time tonight. And Lord, I ask that you would guide us this week, that that our tongue, our mind, would be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That you would lead us, that we would walk in the Spirit and not, not fulfill the lust of the flesh this week. 
Lord, the words that proceed out of our mouths would be glorifying to you, that you would, that you would have total control. Lord, use us, Father, to, to uh, be a witness and a light. Lord, uh, we'd love to hear of a soul getting saved this week, coming to know you. Lord, how forcible are right words. We know that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. There's great force in those words. And Father, I just ask that you'd give us, uh, give us wisdom in it and help us to walk in faith, knowing that you, you will use your word, that it will not return void. Thank you for our time tonight, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here. You are dismissed.